Hello everybody, welcome to the show. So today I'm sitting down with Sean Bossetil, a writer, photographer and researcher who is currently working on his PhD about digital nomadism uh, with an impressive portfolio of published work, including National Geographic, Traveler and Lonely Planet, Sean shares his unique perspective on intersection of travel, culture and politics. In our conversation, we explore how digital nomadism affects its environment, the role of politics in shaping this lifestyle, and the core values that are shared by many who embrace this way of living. We research topics that could consider taboos within the nomad community, including loneliness, fear of commitment, and what the future holds us when we will be old. I really enjoyed this conversation, Sean's curiosity about the word, his ability to deep dive into any topic, and his genuine self-reflection were a true inspiration. I'm your host, Bori Vig, and this is In Search of Something Different, where we talk about new ideas, points of views on how we live, work, and connect. Welcome to the show, and let's jump right into this next episode. Welcome to the show about new ideas on how we live, work, and connect. This is Bori Vik, your host, and in the following episode, together with my guests and listeners, we are again in search of something different. Hello, Sean. Thanks Hello. so much that you accepted my invite. No worries. Great to be here. Yeah. So for everyone, we are in Copangan uh, together. This is pretty much the last week that uh, we could make this interview, and my microphones and everything just right in time so that I can interview you, which I really wanted to. And just a little bit of an insight, I, every time I uh, meet Sean, we just get into these really mind-blowing conversations. And I'm not, I don't want to have set the standards really high <laughs> right now. Maybe it's going to be really mediocre. For sure. <laughs> but uh, after one of our conversations, I, I felt like this is what I really like to do. I really like to talk to people and I really like curious people. Mm. So... That's why the whole idea came up that I'm going to do this uh, show and that if the idea came because of one of our conversations, of course, it was behind my back for a few years, but mm. uh, then I was, I would, it would have been such a pity if I'm mm. not, if I don't, don't have this talk with you. So yeah. thanks so much for inspiring me to do that. <laughs> no worries. Thank you for inviting me. It's really cool to talk to you. Like I love having conversations with you as well. So yeah, the feeling's mutual. Awesome. And we've already had an interview before because Sean is a researcher and you are a digital nomad who researches digital nomads, yeah. which is kind of an inception. So now <laughs> the tables have turned. I'm going to ask questions, but of course, let's just keep it chill and then let's, have, let's see how it goes. So can you tell me a little bit more like how, so you're a nomad for 10 years. Mm. That's really cool. You've been doing this before it was, before it was cool. So how did this whole, whole thing started? Yeah, so um, I was, um, uh, I started traveling back in 2012. Um, I was a travel agent for a couple of years um, and um, I love, I've always loved travel and I love to sell travel and everything, which is what I was doing. But then, um, yeah, 2012, I decided to quit my job and to sell my car, like the typical kind of nomad origin story. And I decided to embark on, on some traveling. Were there any like moment when you were like, "Fuck this shit!" Like now, I'm going. Was there like a trigger point? I've always, um, I've always wanted to get out of Australia. Uh, ever since I was young, I've always had this, um, this attraction to the world outside of Australia. Um, and I, I first left Australia, I guess you know, 
Well, on my own, I first left when I was 20 and I worked in Japan for a year teaching English. And I knew it like that was a really interesting time because um, like I'd uh, finished school, I did one year of, um, of TAFE, we call it in Australia. It's like a, like a technical kind of college and I studied sound production at TAFE. And I just remember I just got to this point where I just really wanted to leave Australia. Mm. I was just kind of, I found Australia boring and I was just tired of it. And I ended up getting a job teaching English in Japan. Um, I was recruited in Melbourne, so I got the job in Australia. Mm. And, they gave, and, and then uh, I went to Japan six months later. But I remember like I didn't even tell my parents that I was leaving to go to Japan for a year until until like two days before I left because oh I didn't want them to to put up like a like make a big fuss about it and to put mm. a party on I just wanted to leave and so that was probably the the only point in my life where I felt really really the strong urge to leave when I left in 2012 it was more about um I just felt like yeah like I was selling travel for for two years why wasn't I the one traveling like, why was I yeah. kind of stuck in this office, kind of making all these other people happy with their with their travel plans? I really wanted to do it. And initially, the point was just to kind of travel for like a year, like around Southeast Asia. <laughs> but then like a few months into traveling, I just kind of, uh, I, I felt like, why? I don't want this to end. Mm. I don't want this to end. I want to continue traveling. Yeah. And so then I, I started looking into ways to make money online and, uh, one thing led to another. I, I, I wrote a book, an e-book actually, um, back in 2013 about how to get really cheap flights before uh, between Australia and Europe based on mm. my travel industry experience. So we knew this trick in the travel industry oh, cool. on how to get really cheap flights to, to Europe from Australia. So I wrote a book exposing this loophole. Uh, I spent about four months writing this book and I, I think I ended up selling like 10 copies and I made 200 bucks. So it was, <laughs> no. it was a relatively a, wa a waste of time. But through that process, I came across, um, I learned about how other people were making money online. Yeah. And I heard that people were making money writing SEO articles. Hmm. So that's, I first just started writing SEO articles back in 2013. And, you know, I called myself a freelance writer before I actually was. I made a website and I... So fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it, yeah. Hmm. And I, I literally spammed a thousand marketing companies in Australia and I sent them all the same email, basically uh, introducing who I am, a link to my website and, you know, and asking if, the, if they had any mm. work. And so, so out of the thousand people that I emailed, and I mean literally a thousand, I bought a, an email, a, a, a list from Fiverr of a thousand email of wow. marketing companies and I spammed them. Um, it's funny, like Google um, kind of uh, suspended my account, like once I did that, because like, hey, like... <laughs> you're not meant to be doing this, but then they reactivated it. And once it was reactivated, I had like 20 emails from these 1,000 companies that were interested in working with me. Mm. And that's how it all kind of started. Amazing. Um, so, so then you were already traveling and then how did your parents take it? Uh, take that I was traveling or that yeah, I was... Yeah, because you only told them like two, two days before leaving. Oh, that so that was... Like, bye. Yeah, that was, that, was in, that was Japan when I was 20. So I, oh, okay. I told them two days before. And then, you know, I went to Japan and I traveled around. I went to Malta, went to Thailand, oh, okay. came back to Australia. I did like university in Australia. After university, I did 
my travel, I did travel agency for a couple mm. of years. And then, yeah, in 2012, that's when I decided to leave. And yeah, I think my parents always, I'd always been traveling in my past. So my parents knew, my parents knew from probably when I was 18 that I was never going to stay in Australia. Mm. Like they just knew it, like they didn't like it. They didn't, they wanted me to stay in Australia, but they just knew my life wasn't here. So they're quite, quite accepting of it. And to this day, they've been really supportive nice. and you know as long as i'm happy they're happy kind yeah. of attitude which i think you can't really ask for anything more from parents um, yeah 100 percent. so you know one thing that many people ask from me you're doing this for 10 years now mm. so um I've, I've been nomad for eight years so i keep getting this question from everybody how long you can do this so how how long can you actually do this? What, do you have an do you get this question? Yeah, as well. Yeah. Do you have an answer for this? Uh, I, I think I'm always going to be doing this. Um, I think you know, you know, talking just to go back to my parents. My parents always say to me, like my mum or my dad's, like, you know, haven't you had enough? Like, you know, haven't you got it out of your system? This yeah. kind of thing. Where have you, a normal life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you know, come back and have a normal life. But I think some people are always going to be inclined to be nomadic i mean there have been nomadic people in the past some people don't mm. like to settle and there will always i think be nomadic people in the future you know especially now with with air travel and now with remote work it's it's so much easier now to to move and to live in different places and so for me it's like why wouldn't you if you can but i, I think you know we were talking before this interview just about how I think nomads and travelers in general are quite curious. Yeah. So for people like us, you were like, yeah, well, we're curious about the world. We want to go out and explore the world. Why would we want to stay in one spot? It just doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I completely agree with you that I think curiosity is one of, one of the main drive forces, but do you have this feeling that this curiosity changed on like, what you were curious like 10 years ago, are you still curious about the same things? I think I, I, th I, think I am like, um, you know, I often have this conversation with people or this debate, like do, do people actually change? I, I feel that your core personality, so the way that you look at the world, um, which I think includes your values, I think for, for most people, for the most part, they're they stay the same, like how you view the world and your personality stays the same. I've, and that's because I feel like I've stayed the same since I was young. I've always been curious, yeah. philosophical, all that stuff. Um, I think that the quality has stayed the same. Yeah, but maybe yeah, maybe to answer your question, um, has, has the object of that curiosity changed? Yeah. Am I curious about different exactly. things? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, since starting this PhD, definitely um, I'm more curious about different things. So, um, you know, um, I don't want to kind of go off on a tangent, but just, you know, just to answer, answer this question before doing this PhD, um, I was less curious about maybe the effects of nomad communities and the effects of my lifestyle on other people, other host communities around yeah. the world. And I'd always only really see the positives and, you know, kind of celebrate the lifestyle. And I do 100% celebrate the lifestyle. I think it's amazing lifestyle. Mm. I love digital nomadism. But the more I research and more I read about um, 
tourism and travel, uh, the more I'm now curious about how we impact these local communities that we're in and how mm. maybe we, um, we create conditions where power inequalities, economic inequalities are perpetuated because of people like ourselves. Yeah, yeah we, we've talked about this because, um, so this island where we are right now in Kopangan, I think we both can agree that this is pretty much one of the best places, if not the best places to, to live this lifestyle. We mm. have so much comfort here. We have, we have workshops to ease the thirst that we have for curiosity. Mm. And, um, but there's something missing here and it's culture. We actually came to this extremely weird situation when we just hang out with like-minded people, but we are missing, like we are missing locals. I mean, I'm missing locals mm. a little bit, and then some people don't even know more than Kapunka and Sabarika, which mm. is like thank you and hello mm. in in Thai, and that's mm. all, and maybe some of the Thai food names, but that's mm. it. Um, so, yeah. isn't it interesting how we started because we we're curious about? living in different living with different cultures but then eventually we started to form our own little bubble all over the place what's your intake on this yeah i think it's 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 a paradox because yeah we we leave home because we want to you know go somewhere different and meet different people and kind of experience different cultures but yet we feel safe and a sense of belonging amongst people like ourselves yes. so we seek similarity when we go overseas and it's it's um for me it's a paradox but i i kind of i can see how it all makes sense because i think um you know human beings um we we love what we we want um novelty we want mm. difference we want things that are new but then we also want things that are similar safe and and, and familiar and so the way that i look at it um the the way that the nomad lifestyle kind of plays out and is able to kind of um, get both needs met is to, okay, so nomads go to a, a, another country and they live in a different country. So yeah. they're surrounded by difference, otherness. Um, but then within that, within that landscape, they create bubbles of familiarity and a mm. sense of belonging with other nomads. So they can get that sense of feeling like they belong by hanging out with their other nomads, but whenever they want, they can easily step out and catch a bus or a train or go down, you know, a street and, and be surrounded by complete otherness. Mm. So they're able to kind of get both needs met depending on how they kind of move around. But it is interesting in what I have only recently <clears throat> learned really, um, not recently, I, I guess I haven't really tried to learn more about it, but you know, a lot of the service workers here are Burmese. Yeah. So when we, and not even, actually not even Burmese, Burmese is an ethnic group within Myanmar. Some of mm. them are, are Karen, like they're from Karen state and Chin state. So they don't even identify as Burmese. And the funny thing is, it's so, I've been saying Kopkun Kap, like thank you in Thai to these people. They probably don't it's even know language. the language. I know, I felt the same way. And we just created this island was, I don't think that they were too many Thai people nah. like 30 years nah. ago either. Nah. So I think we just hijacked an island yeah. in, in Thailand. Yeah. yeah, but doesn't it like, it speaks to our ignorance that we don't even know that the yeah. people serving us are not even 100%. from Thai. And then the word know. serving, and then that's like, yeah, we are going down yeah. a slippery slope, but we, we talk about this all the time. Like 
it is so unfair that if we are coming from maybe a, a little bit more peaceful place and then people who are not as lucky as we are, they're working 12 hours a day and and there's no way to change it because mm. it's economics and mm. it's like how the the world works. But how do you think it's going to, because now we have Copangana, I think there's other places like this uh, yeah. all around the world. Yeah. How do you see that it's going to change the future economically maybe or just... Remote work and digital nomadism? Yeah, well, or just this gentrification that we are doing here. Yeah, well, I mean, some people have a lot of hope that um, remote work's going to kind of level out and balance uh, the opportunities. So, you know, people, for example, in Pakistan or in Ukraine will be able to work um, for maybe, you know, American companies or European companies and earn like a decent salary. Um, I, I, I'm a bit more pessimistic. I feel like, um, I feel like remote work is, and digital nomadism really is going to favor Westerners and, mm. and it's going to give us the power. We're, we're the ones that are coming into these spaces and having a better quality of life. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes we're actually making the local quality of life less by rising rental prices. For example, Bali is overrun with scooters and traffic. So like mm. the quality of life for Balinese, just in terms of moving from A to B, now it's taking a lot longer for them to get from A to B. So you can say, okay, that's, a, that's not a good thing for their quality yeah. of life. They're spending more time in traffic. Rental prices, food prices. Um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a project called Plumia. Plumia, okay. have you heard of this? Mm, they they no. want to start like an internet, a country on the internet. Um, the fact is a lot of our privilege as Westerners mm. um, in terms of movement comes down to our passport, really. Mm. Like it's a political question. It's a political issue who can move and who can't move. Yeah. Myanmar, for example, these people have been displaced or pushed out of Myanmar because yeah. of the political situation happening there. Mm. Um, they're, they're forced to be here. Westerners like us and digital nomads, we have the freedom to move around, but that's only because our passports are yeah. relatively strong. And, um, you know, a, you know, the digital nomadism is a viable lifestyle for most of us precisely because of geo arbitrage, because we earn money in a strong currency, but we live somewhere that's cheaper. Mm. If you already come from a country that has a low cost of living relative to what we get and you're paid in a local salary relative to where you live, you're not really going to get the benefit of moving to Thailand because it's just going to be basically as expensive as it was back home. Yeah. And my other, th my other thought is, yeah, if, we, if, we, if employers can now hire someone from Ukraine or Myanmar to do programming work, they're not going to be paying these people the same that they would pay a European or an American. They're not going to. No. So that, if you think about it, that may put downward pressure on salaries for that particular job. Mm. So if programmers, you know, in uh, America get, let's say, 100 grand a year, but now because they can hire from Ukraine or Myanmar, they may say, okay, well, we're going to give you $30,000 a yeah. year. That may make what put downward pressure on the average salary of what a programmer would get. So maybe remote work may, might, might, actually, might not actually benefit workers as much as we think. Hmm. Uh, just, a, just an idea hmm. that I'm thinking. I don't know if that's going to play out or not, but...
What I'm thinking is that mm. I think, well, it's it's going to be true that then it's going to push people to like for for example Americans to be more entrepreneurial. Mm. So up until now you were working as a programmer and you would get that money, but then you would need to find another type of enterprise and you need to do another kind of job in mm. order to uh, earn the same amount of money. Mm. That's, but then I think it might be more like a character question if you're like an employee or yeah. remote worker or, yeah. or what, what, what yeah. you Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's interesting how it's going to play out. Um, but yeah, we are... We are definitely experiencing a lot of what you know what's what's termed transnational gentrification. Yeah. Um, some people, I think, rightfully, uh, kind of call what's happening, you know, a form of neo-colonialism. Mm. So, what was colonialism in the past? People with power coming in and kind of taking over a space. Um, that's kind of what's happening in a lot of nomad cities, Chiang Mai, Bali, yeah. we're coming in, we're infiltrating the space, we're, we're living there. And also now local businesses or uh, the land is now kind of, um, you know, let's say there's, there's an old, there's, a, there's been a fruit and veg shop in this street in mm. Chiang Mai for generations. Now the owner's like, you know what, I'm just going to sell this, this fruit and veg shop or I'm going to turn it into a cafe to appeal to, this, to the nomads that are coming yeah. in. So now the businesses and the very space in these cities is being kind of is being catered now towards foreigners, not for the locals that live there. Yeah. So we're kind of taking over the space. We're taking over the businesses that have that uh, that are there. A lot of you know these cafes in Copenhagen, like the price of a coffee is about let's say eighty baht, hundred baht. A lot of these um, service workers only are only getting paid three hundred baht a day. That's a third of their wage in, in a coffee. So a lot of them can't even afford to drink coffee with us, yeah. but yet it's in their space, it's in their neighborhood, it's in their backyard. So that's a, you know, I think that's something that we need to be mindful of. Yeah, well, when you think about it, like let's say that you're earning 50 euros a day um, in, your, in your home. Mm. Let's just say that you're earning 50 euros. And then just imagine that uh, a coffee would cost 150 euros and you give out these coffees. Exactly. That's like, like just so that we give give a little bit of perspective of of what's what's happening, and then on the other hand, what I'm feeling about this is that we can, and then I felt really bad about this as well. And of course, there's one way of like showing respect and then mm. you know being mindful about these kind of things. But can we actually do something about this? You know, it's it's interesting because uh, I was talking to someone today about um you know the reason why people come to thailand is because it's cheap why is it cheap many many reasons but a, a crucial reason is the price of labor is mm. cheap that's what keeps services low because we don't have because they're not paying the staff what we'd pay what would pay our staff in australia or, or europe or whatever if uh if for example we started to pay local staff more because you know we feel like okay yeah we should really be helping these people then Thailand stops being an attractive destination yeah. for nomads. Yeah. And now we're in this bind where we love Thailand because it's cheap, because it enables us to have a better quality of life. So kind of there's a disincentive to raise the standard of living for the locals because then that's going to 
push out, push us out or make Thailand not as attractive to us anymore. So we have this tension between, okay, well, what's good for me and what's good for the host society and they can flip yeah. at the price point. Yeah. Now, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's very difficult to kind of answer that, but I think, yeah, what can we do? Then, you know, there's talk about, um, you know, paying some kind of local tax. Yeah. Maybe that a way to amazing. do it. Yeah. yeah. That would be amazing. Um, of course, some people say, well, and they, it's, it's true, like we are paying sales tax, for example, VAT, when we buy stuff, yeah. when we rent apartment, and that goes to the country. Um, of course, whether any of that money actually goes to the community or if it goes in someone's pocket. That's a problem, yeah. Corruption might be a, a big problem. But raised the question, because we started this whole conversation about it might be that the whole that we started traveling because of curiosity but eventually it comes down we, we love comfort as well yeah and then in the beginning i'm sure you did the backpacking and then the yeah. the, um, the hostel life and mm. then you were like i don't care where i'm sleeping it's mm. just like i just want mm. to see the world and now we're we are living in this really cool mm. places and then right now where we are recording this i'm going to post a, a picture about this but we can see the ocean in where we are talking yeah, and it's beautiful it's uh, about uh, to have sunset and then this is our everyday life mm. so mm. i think it's curiosity and comfort yeah eventually yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are looking for yeah and like the whole you know if you ask a lot of nomads and a lot of you know, expats or whatever, lifestyle migrants is another category, why they are there, it's for a better quality of life. Mm. And what does that really mean? Well, it means, okay, there's the weather, yeah, maybe you live in a place with better weather or you like to be near the ocean, but fundamental to any kind of quality of life is having the financial resources to live in a nice place, to eat nice food, to have more disposable income, yeah, to have more time, yeah. basically. Yeah. And how do you have more time? Well, you have more time by um, hypothetically or potentially at least, if you live somewhere like Thailand, you don't need to, to work as much to pay ends meet. Hmm. So in London, for example, you need to earn, or let's say Australia, let's say Australia, you need to maybe earn three or 4,000 bucks to pay for your accommodation yeah, and food crazy. and everything. In Thailand, you could you could earn a thousand and live. So yeah. potentially, you work a quarter of the of the number of hours that you work back in Australia. You have more time. Mm. Uh, when people talk about work life balance, what they I feel what they're really talking about is less work, more free time. That's balance, yeah. having less work to do and more free time for themselves. So yeah, obviously we're able to by living in Thailand have more more free time. So you know this quality of life question calms down the money. For a lot of people, you know, money's, money, money, money makes the world go around, yeah? Um, and it helps yeah. us actually go around and, you know, as nomads and live in different places. And um. So, um, yeah, I agree with, the, with money, but it, it came to, so a new idea out of this is that I think we are more mindful about money on the other hand. We are a little bit more crea creative maybe mm. about money. How you said you were sending... Uh, all these emails to all these different people mm. and then because you had the motive mm. to change your lifestyle therefore you came up with an idea on how to stay on the road same for me yeah and uh, I think same for everybody who, who does this lifestyle that you you wanted to figure out like how to earn more money or how to earn money online or mm. 
how to be better with money and change mm. the mindset around uh, around money. Because meanwhile, we are talking about how it's important and how it changes your lifestyle. I'm coming from Hungary, and then honestly, you can rent an apartment there for 400, 500 euros mm. in the city center. Uh, and there's many nomads who are going to Budapest because it's cheap. And I completely forgot during this conversation that I'm coming from that country. And mm. and eventually you will be able to uh, change your reality or your, your thinking about money and then how much you can earn mm. if you're hanging out with international people. Yeah. So I know that it's a different thing with Thai people or, or Burmese people or people from Myanmar to be a Hungarian because of the passport. Mm. But that's also another thing that you think that you cannot live in Thailand, for example, coming from Hungary or coming from another country because you get used to that you you spend 500 euros in accommodation mm. and and that, that you only earn, let's say, I don't know, like one or 2,000 euros a month. Mm. And that's like a good salary in Hungary. Yeah, yeah. So I think it also comes down to, are you educating yourself? Really, are you able to speak languages? Are you like English? <laughs> Let's be honest, English is enough. <laughs> And can you make a, a better living and better better money? Here's yeah, some. yeah, no, totally. I I hundred percent agree with you. And, um, you know, I love Budapest as well. Budapest, yeah, I know. Uh, favorite city in Europe, if not the world. Amazing. So let's go back to curiosity. Um, do you think people who are not nomadic are they less curious? I I do have a sense that that's interesting because you know like. I think, you know, maybe most human beings are curious. Obviously, there are different degrees of curiosity. Um, and I think uh, what I find interesting about nomads is that we want to scratch that curiosity itch overseas. But you could easily um, do new things in your own city. Mm. You could read a new book is a new experience. Mm. You could watch a new movie, you could go to a new cafe, a new restaurant, um, learn a new hobby. There are so many ways that you can, um, you know, satisfy this search for new experiences. Why? So I feel like, yeah, I think, I think most human beings are curious, but I think, you know, what is it that makes nomads or travelers try to scratch that, you know, curiosity itch overseas? Mm. Because that's different. Like, why do we travel so far away for a new experience when we could get it back where we're from? Mm. And I don't really have an answer for that. I don't know why we want to leave to find something new. I have an idea about mm. this. Maybe it's because we can be, we can start from from zero because we can be foreigners a little bit, and then we don't have any other perspectives on us. Like, yeah, I'm not be. a, I'm not a daughter i mean i'm a daughter but like mm. not intensively and mm. i'm not a mm. uh you know you can you can start over mm. yeah this is one thing and then yeah. maybe the other thing is um we're choosing friends and we're choosing ba yeah so definitely we are curious about culture like i don't think that you can start mm. to become a digital nomad if you're not curious about mm. what what else is out there right mm. but i think it's also that there is friends that we had who are i would call them location based like the people who grew up with you they sat next to you in class or they were living in the house next door and these are your friends and they might be still your friends but they might have different values than you yeah 
but what keeps you together is loyalty and experiences. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the the way you think or the the things that you like or the, the like the perspective on on the world. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, when we start traveling, we start finding people who, with whom we are sharing the same values. Mm -hmm. And that's, for me at least, that's something that, that keeps me going. And then that boils down to, are you lonely? The question that mm. we, we get sometimes. Mm. Mm. That I feel more, I feel more, uh, more lonely when I'm surrounded by people who don't understand mm. me. Yeah, like an, an idea that just came to me now, like why we go overseas to, you know, scratch that curiosity itch. I feel like a lot of nomads, um, never really felt like they belonged where mm. they were from. Well, they felt like an outsider or an outcast or the black sheep mm. of the family or the society. So when you don't feel this sense of real belonging where you're from, there's less to keep you there. Okay, so like if you don't feel like you really belong somewhere, then naturally you're going to think, well, where do I belong? <laughs> well, where can I fit in? Where, mm. can I, when I, where can I fit in with? And that kind of relates to your your point about nomads really feel um, connected and a sense of belonging when they're around people that also feel the same way, also have this curiosity, maybe also have also have also felt this sense of not really belonging where they're from. And it's quite interesting that nomads um, are able to find that sense of belonging on the other side of the world with people that are very very similar to them hmm. so you know the black sheeps of the world or the marginal figures or the outcasts of the world kind of fit in with each other you know that's their tribe the tribe of 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 outcasts or you know not, not it's not a negative thing i think it's it's great to kind of have a different perspective to most people i think it's a great skill to see the world in a different way but i i feel like yeah a lot of nomads do come from this uh, from this uh, background of not really feeling like they belong. So there is this sense of um, of okay, well, if it's if I don't like it here, what's over there? Hmm. There's this curiosity about what's over there. So I think that could be maybe a, a reason yeah. why people feel this urge to leave and yeah, go somewhere new. You know. In, hoping to find somewhere where they finally feel at home. And then the question is, well, can you ever finally feel at home anywhere? Mm -hmm. Especially for nomadic people. Maybe mm. we are kind of cursed to roam the world forever oh. with this, you know, never really feeling at home. And, um, you know, there are some philosophers like uh, Heidegger, this German philosopher, a lot of philosophers really, you know, existentialists have this idea that really we don't belong anywhere. We don't fit in any, mm. anywhere. Um, we don't even know why we're here on this planet. Like, you know, if you don't believe in God, why are we here? We're just here randomly. It's up to us to create our own sense of meaning. And if we're looking for somewhere, if we're looking for a home, like a home with the capital H, we're never really going to find it. Mm. So you never found any place that you would call a home in the past 10 years? I found, you know, I loved living in Budapest for a year and a half. Um, I, f I can feel at home in many, many different places. But I think after a while, um, maybe, you know, that, um, that, that human urge towards new experiences, sometimes maybe after a while starts to build up. 
and you may feel yourself getting itchy feet because you mm -hmm. want to go somewhere new. You know, mm -hmm. it's like community, sense of belonging is great because you feel like you're a part of a collective, part of a community. At the same time, communities can also be stifling and restrictive and everyone knows your business. Yeah. You don't have any freedom. So then we might, we may feel after a while that we want to get out and we want to go somewhere new. And, and a, a travel for a lot of people is this um, form of escape or this, this, uh, this chance for them to kind of reinvent themselves and to be different people. Mm. So we have this, I think it's a dynamic tension between this, um, this wanting to be a part of a community and also this wanting to break free. And I think about it, you know, historically, you know, when we were, we used to live in relatively small communities before urbanization, before the industrial revolution, before we all moved into the cities to work in factories and then work. We left our small scale communities and we came into the city. And um, now I'm getting a bit more academic, but I just want to, no there's this, uh, this cool, um, this philosopher, George Simmel, and he, he talked about, you know, the city was where man or woman can be free because the very anonymity of the city, the fact that you don't know anyone and no one knows you, gives you this freedom to recreate yourself. Hmm. So the city is at simultaneously um, a place where you can be free, but it's also a place where you're anonymous hmm. and you don't know anyone and you can feel alienated from each other. Community is great because it ha gives you that sense of belonging, but it can also feel stifling and everyone knows your business. So we have these two kind of um, extremes, these two points, these two places where we want to be, but not forever, I don't feel. I feel like yeah. we, we want to go somewhere in the middle where we, we kind of have the freedom of the city or the freedom of anonymity and also the sense of belonging from the community. And what I think is amazing about the nomad lifestyle is that we're able to kind of switch in between. Mm -hmm. We're able to kind of get our community fix when we want it. Yeah. But then we're able to leave because mm. we can work remotely and we have the freedom of movement. So then we can satisfy the freedom itch. And then eventually we want to go back to the community. So it's a dynamic kind of interplay. And that's why I think for me, I could never, I didn't see myself staying in a community forever. And mm. I don't see myself traveling forever. It's going to be a dynamic thing where yeah. I'm going in between, you know, these two extremes and a lot of nomads when you ask them, you know, how they see their future moving forward, they talk about bases, having yeah. multiple bases. Yeah. And why do they love multiple bases? Because a base is somewhere where ideally you've cultivated a community, where you know people on the ground that are always going to be there, hopefully, when you get mm -hmm. back there. So you can, you know, go back there, have your sense of belonging, but then you can leave and go somewhere new. So you're able to satisfy the freedom. The, the movement and you're also able to satisfy that sense of belonging by dropping into community yeah you know it, it made me uh, it, it reminded me of a, a memory when i was a teenager i was i used to go to raves like um, drum and bass parties mm. I, I still go to parties <laughs> who am i nice. kidding and uh, my move so i had three best friends and we and all four of us would go to a party and then we would find a place which is going to be the base and they all three of them would actually stay there for the entire time and me after like 45 minutes i would start to have an itchy feet and i would go around and make new friends and then mm. after an hour or so i would go back to the base 
it's really funny that I actually became a, a nomad and I'm doing the same thing. I'm going back. Uh, but then there were some times that I went back and they, they got busy and then they, they had their own thing or mm. they went to the bathroom or something happened and I would go back and then they were not there and I started to freak out like, yeah. where are they? And yeah. then, you know, sometimes I have this feeling with communities that you, because in your memory, they are there. But the, the community that you're talking about, they have their own shit to do as well. Yeah. So they are moving around and yeah. they, they go yeah. different. And maybe they are nomads and they are leaving. thing that just happened uh, here as mm. well. Many people mm. just left. And, and, and so maybe this community is always as well fluid in a way mm. that you think they're going to be there. Or maybe just the values are going to be there. So when you go back, like if I would come back here and I would still go... So same things, I would co-work in different places and I would meet similar people, but maybe not the exact same people. Yeah. I don't know if, if it makes sense. Yeah, totally, 100%. Yeah. Uh, definitely makes sense. Uh, I, I feel like, um, um, you know, it's, it's the people that make the place. Mm. And that's why if you go back to the same destination, but the people are not there, like, you know, in your example, when you, when you went back to the base in the club, if they're not there anymore, that base doesn't really feel like it was. It, you feel, oh, it's not really, doesn't feel comforting anymore because mm. the people weren't there. Physically, geographically, it's the same space, but the people really make the difference. And I, I think this is the interesting thing about nomad communities is that I think you, you make a really excellent point. Like the people in that community come and go, but the values or the, type of pe the types of people that come into that are gonna be quite, predictable, quite stable. So at least you know, okay, you can kind of make new friends and they're gonna be open to meeting people. But yeah, this is the um this is the uh the challenge I think with uh you know, I think we were talking about this maybe a couple of weeks ago, but mm. like the dissolution of social groups, you yeah. know, like that's the, that's the sad thing that for me, you know, all my a lot of my friends that I was hanging out with here have all disappeared and, and now I'm kind of like alone again, but in the same place. Mm. And Copangan doesn't feel like Copangan anymore without those people. Yeah. And the me I, I, I think sometimes like the memories of our experiences kind of haunt the landscape. Because <laughs> I drive past somewhere and think, oh yeah, that's where we did that, but they're not here anymore. Now I'm on mm. my own. And, and now I think to myself, well, what am I gonna do on Saturday night? Whereas when they were here, there was no question. It was like, yeah, I'm going to hang out with them. We're going to do something. Yeah. Now I'm suddenly confronted with, oh, who am I going to hang out with on Saturday night? And this is, you know, the, the continual sense of like loss that you get in mm. as a nomad. Like you're, you're building relationships and then you're saying goodbye and continually over and over and over again. And, and a lot of, for a lot of people, it gets kind of tiring after a while and, a lot of people may um, kind of, once they find out, you know, a lot of nomads maybe, uh, you know, protect themselves by um, not really putting time and effort and energy into someone that's only going to be here for a short amount of time because they don't want to have this experience of getting close to someone and then having to say goodbye. Yeah. So it's a defense mechanism. And... You know, in terms of, you know, the long-term sustainability of, the, of this lifestyle, maybe for some people after a while, they're sick of doing that. Mm. They want to have this stable kind of group, um, which can maybe be resolved with the, with the multiple bases. Do you have approach. nomad friends who you are meeting up when you're traveling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
usually. Mm. Yeah, not as much as um, not as much as I think is the nomad base mm. people. Like I think you guys put more effort into you know making sure you can meet up somewhere. It's my impression anyway. Maybe I think we have a channel that yeah. helps us. Like we have yeah. somewhere where we know that we are going to be there, and then it's just uh, there for yeah. And I think that's I think that's a really good strategy for addressing this um the social question over the over the lifestyle you know so my research is interested in like the the strategies that nomads use to kind of reconcile these tensions and i think what nomad base do or what what some nomad based communities do by you know meeting up um in different parts of the world and then you can continue where you left off you don't have to start yeah. again um yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, situation, I think. Mm. And uh, just a little bit of a, uh, an explanation: this nomad-based community mm. is a <clears throat> second-generation community uh, of nomad crews, which was uh, I was part of the team for a few years, and now it's actually back. So maybe it's when the time it's going to go out, it's going to be back. So shout out for nomad crews, mm. and uh, that's what we are talking about uh, right now. I'm hoping to go on the Nomad cruise this year. Ooh, yeah, May. You? Yeah, I yeah. am. I'm like, we'll see. We'll see okay. what happens. But probably, probably it's going to happen again. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you were saying that you're you're writing about the different solutions that we come up for the problems. What mm. are the problems that we are fixing? Yeah. So, for example, I think um, you know the the tension between freedom and social connection. So if you have freedom, freedom of movement, you're taking yourself out of communities or social groups that you know, and you're, um, you're having to formulate or to form new ones hmm. somewhere else. So this is tension between, okay, well, if I move, I'm, I'm leaving the social connections, but I need the social connections. I hmm. want the social connections. How can I leave and have freedom, but still feel connected to people? This is the, the tension. Um, and you know, some of the strategies that nomads use to kind of try to, you know, have their cake and eat it too, so to speak, to get both needs met, is through joining, you know, nomad communities. So, you know, you come to Chiang Mai or to Kapangan, you join the WhatsApp group, you go yeah. to a couple of events, yeah. and now you've got a social group. Another strategy is, for example, um, co-working spaces. So co-working spaces, a lot of them these days, um, organize community events. Yeah. Oftentimes, community is kind of advertised as a benefit of joining. So, you know, join our co-working uh, space and you have AC, fast Wi-Fi, yeah. good chairs and a, and a chance to join a vibrant nomad community. And that's interesting because these co-working spaces now are aware that loneliness and social isolation is a, is a problem for nomads. So they're helping to address that by cultivating a sense of community in their spaces. They charge for it, which is, you know, kind of almost yeah. commercialized and commodifying community. But for, for some nomads, it's literally a, a price they're willing to pay because they're able to drop into a community. And, you know, as we kind of know, all, you know, like nomads are very, very open to meeting new people. So you go to a co-working space, you go to an event, likelihood people are gonna be very open to meeting you because they're also lonely. They also wanna make connections. Yeah. So we both need each other. So you know we met in a co-working space. Yeah, we met in a co-working yeah, space. We, we met in Koptair, which is yeah. uh, my favorite co-working yeah. space on the road. And so. I think at an, at an event, yeah, like yeah. your goal setting. Goal crushers, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Still goals, actually. Yeah. It's goal crusher. It's a it's a, a thing where we set where we meet every week and then set goals and then mm. double check on mm. each other. Yeah, and these great. goals. We had, we did so many different things yeah. with the goals. Like some yeah. people get the the yeah. the. It's it's just a super interesting way how we can connect with each other because I connect through you, not like mm. specific networking questions mm. like. So I don't know what you're doing, what's your job, blah, 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 mm. which is burning me out mm. all the time. Mm. But more like, so you're picking up meditation or mm. you're picking up, I don't know, mm. whatever, and telling yeah. stories of what's yeah. actually specifically happened to you. Yeah. It's a super good way to connect. It is, yeah. And why did I go to that event? Yeah, because I wanted to meet people. Yeah, 100%. Yeah? That's, that's why I did it. Um, so, um, and also co-living spaces are a good way for people to kind of get their social needs met. Mm. And the reason why I th the reason why I say it's a, it's a, it's a strategy because what, what what you can do as a nomad is you can go to a co living space, stay there for a month, you get your community fix, you, you drop into a community, you're a part of the community for for a month, and then you can leave and go somewhere new. So then you have your freedom back, and so you haven't lost your freedom by having that that sense of social connection. You've had the social connection for a month. Now you go somewhere new. And you can do the same thing. Now you can go to Budapest and join a mm, co-working or a co-living yeah. and get that sense of community. Yeah. But then still hold on to your freedom because nomads love their freedom. Yeah. That's kind of what draws people into the lifestyle. They want more freedom, more freedom to choose where they work, when they work, who they work with. Mm. And so we don't really want to give away that freedom. We want to tr try to retain it, but then we also do need the social connection and, and oftentimes they conflict. So yeah, I'm interested in how they kind of, you know, are resolved and, and they're not going to be resolved fully. Like you're not going to be able to, you know, even if you have really deep connections with nomads you've met in Chiang Mai or Kopangan, yeah, they can be very, very deep, but they're not going to be the same as, you know, a, a friendship that you've cultivated over years. Yeah. You know, it, but it, but it's it's enough for you um, to kind of feel a sense of belonging, and and you can still continue your nomadic lifestyle. Mm. You don't want to go back to a settled society and then you know feel like you've lost your freedom. Yeah. So we need to tackle one question that I think always arises when we are talking about. Do you know what I'm what I mean? Mm. When it gets to freedom. No. So I think we always get into a little bit of this taboo of, of relationships and nomads mm. on how we are dealing relationships when there is like all these needs and one of our values yeah. is freedom for, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So what's your take on, on how we are tackling uh, this problem? Do you think it's a problem actually on how to stay or find relationships? Are you talking like commitment issues? Maybe, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, if we think, if we, if we were to agree that freedom is the, you know, one of the main um, attractors to the lifestyle, people love the freedom of being able to choose, have, people want agency, the ability to do what they want to do. Mm. If, we, if we accept that that's a fundamental attraction to the lifestyle, then anything that takes away that freedom is going to be not not welcomed and if you think about what a relationship is um we could say well fundamental to any successful relationship is this willingness to compromise mm. and what is compromise it's not it's saying okay well okay 
I want to do this, but you know, you want to do that. So I'm going to kind of, let's meet halfway. So I'm not going to do what I really want to do. You're maybe not going to do what you what really want to do, mm. but we're going to meet halfway. We're going to compromise. For a nomad to compromise is kind of like, it's, it's almost like sacrilegious. It's like, no, I don't want to compromise. I don't want to commit to like, and, and what is commitment? Commitment is, yeah, basically saying, I'm willingly giving away my freedom because I value you or I value mm. the place. You know, if it's a, it's a, if it's a rental contract, where nomads are so reluctant to sign a six month or a year lease because we don't want to commit to that place. We want to be able to move. So I, I feel like digital nomadism is um, primarily a single person's lifestyle because we are, we are so, we, are, we worship freedom that we're not really willing to give it away. And relationships require a certain amount of, um, of giving freedom away. Because hmm. it's not about you anymore. It's about the relationship. It's like a, another entity, yeah? So what's best for the entity? So, and not to say that, you know, there are no nomad couples. Yeah, eventually, you know, there are nomad couples and, you know, you spend time. I was with a girl for one and a half years and it was cool and everything. Um, but, you know, then it starts to break apart. And why does it break apart? Or maybe it's kind of unsustainable when both people are really trying to, you know, exert their agency and do whatever they want. And, you know, do you think nomads have this fear of or unwilling, or they're unwilling to commit and because they value freedom so much? Mm -hmm. Is this your, your understanding or your impression of the lifestyle? It's a good question if it's, uh, you know, the egg or the chicken. Mm. So was it like commitment issues first and then you decide to not settle down anywhere, not mm. working for the same company mm. all the time. But eventually I was, I am committed to to a blog that I wrote for for years and years mm. and I am committed to, to myself and of mm. course like all this bullshit, sorry, but... Mm. Uh, and many of my friends I'm co committed to. Mm. So I have friends for six years, seven years who are nomadic and I have friends mm. for 20 years who I, I'm committing to. So I do, I can commit. I think I do have commitment issues uh, for sure. And I think many of the nomads uh, have as well. And I think we are working on various uh, death of ourselves. Mm. But one thing that because I think it's not like staying in a relationship that's a problem for us because what you then it would be the choosing me over choosing you over the freedom mm. then it would would come into a question but mm. in the beginning it's just like I just want to be with this person yeah, because yeah. it's amazing right yeah, so yeah, yeah. so there you don't really feel so nah. then it would be that we have short relationships instead of no relationships but the 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 thing is that we actually. Most of my friends, uh, I'm not, of course, I have nomad friends as well, but I would say like it's an 80 20 um, ratio. I think the idea is more like we get used to perfection. And we've talked about this already, but I really, uh, yeah, I really believe in that ever since uh, I eat the perfect food three times a day. I live in a perfect freaking paradise. I have the perfect weather. As soon as the weather is not the perfect, in Kopangan, people leave. Mm. Like the hot season is coming up. That's why mm. so many people left. Mm. And then going to Bali, where is the season right now? So, mm -hmm. so we get used to perfection, and people are not perfect. Mm. 
So as soon as you get too close to someone, you're like, oh, but this person is like, I don't know, it's like, it's not like two meter high or, you know, or like, or it's just like not as kind as I want or something. We come up with things because it's not like people are not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, um, that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we are, we want perfection and, but don't you think like a lot of modern human beings you know in, in the west or whatever are also kind of like that now like with um you know like dating apps and everything like they're like okay oh because we have so much choice now we feel like we have so much mm. choice that like if someone doesn't meet all of our criteria we're like oh swipe left next next mm. next do you think that nomads are maybe more extreme in 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 our perfection seeking or do you feel like we do it in a slightly different way, maybe. Ooh, I think there's various things that come comes up. <clears throat> I think we. Oof, this this might not land well with uh, somebody who's <laughs> living the normal life, but I'm going to be brave and say it. Yeah. Uh, I think we are curious enough to figure out all these amazing ways to live our lives, and I feel that many people around like 20, from 25 to like 35 are, are like okay mm. on uh, there's this 10 year period when they're just like this is a time to find a partner because everybody does that mm. but we're just out in the playground and still playing and then having fun and building businesses and and putting our creative forces in many many places yeah. and for us it's not as ride or die you know like have have a relationship or mm. um i'm not going to be useless in this world mm. so i think it's just not there for us as a as a core value and i'm i'm happy to be in a relationship if the relationship adds to my uh adds to my experience you yeah. know yeah uh and yeah of course i was uh, as well dating nomads and it was yeah. really cool yeah but uh, eventually i think it gets to the point of for because we ask questions on every areas of our life, we live differently, we work differently, we connect differently, we build communities differently, and we build relationships probably differently than mm. others. Mm. Many nomad friends of mine, they are living in a way that they travel together, and then for two months they they're not together. But I mean, they are together, but then. They're not too good. There's a lot of polyamory, a lot of open relationship. Like, mm. That can be another podcast um, mm. episode about that. Mm. But I think it's because we are trying. Like, okay, I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure that how our grandparents or our parents even were doing marriage was like a healthy way of, yeah. of doing marriage. Yeah. And and we are like, okay, if that didn't work, what else is possible? Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like nomads are. We're, we're not happy with the status quo. We're not happy with the way things are done. Like we want something more out of life. And it, I mean, you know, there's this kind of recognition. Well, there's this, you know, it's a familiar story like, you know, someone's been working, you know, I'm talking about nomads uh, or travelers, you know, they've been working in a job for the last mm. 10 years and they kind of feel like there's gotta be something, there's gotta be more to life than this. Mm. So they want more. They want to, you know, they want to explore the world. They want to kind of, you know, develop themselves. There's no, it's no coincidence that nomads are also, you know, a lot of nomads into personal development mm. or into going to the gym. They're trying to achieve perfection, mm. as you said, in all different areas of their life, relationship, career, fitness, health, spirituality. We do want perfection. And so, yeah, like, um, 
we're not we're not happy with the status quo and i think um you know i sometimes wonder whether uh people back home are happier than me you know because you know they seem to be quite content um you know i remember someone telling me a story about um living in you know the former you know soviet you know, well, USSR, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe a country like Hungary or, mm. or whatever, talking about how a lot of the older generation actually preferred living under that kind of rule because, okay, there was less freedom, there was less to choose from when you went to the supermarket, but then there was less to think about. Yeah. There was less analysis. You know, we have this analysis paralysis where we can do so many things. Like even nomads kind of sometimes get stressed out about where to go next. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. they can go anywhere. And so... You know, maybe, maybe free, and this is this is a, a quite quite a controversial, radical thing to say. But maybe freedom does not ultimately lead to happiness or well-being. Maybe too much freedom really kind of feels um, feels overwhelming, and we feel a little bit lost. Maybe it's good to have just limitations in our lives. You know, so yeah, sometimes I think that people that haven't left or stay in one place. Maybe they're happier because life is simple. It's like, yeah, I can go here, I can go there, and this, I know this person, I know that person. And yeah, a lot of nomads, um, they don't want that. They kind of, you know, um, they they fetishize freedom. Like freedom is like, you know, like they worship at the altar <laughs> of freedom. Yeah. But, you know, maybe ultimately it's not going to make them happy. Yeah. But we do so many things that limit our, our freedom. Like we go to Vipassana where you, we cannot speak for 10 days mm. or mm. We, we go for ayahuasca retreats where you are, can't even actually feel your body for like eight hours. Yeah. And so we do play around with, with limiting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think freedom is kind of the entrance, mm. but then curiosity keeps us going. Yeah, so I agree. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. freedom is, is one of... I wouldn't call freedom one of my core values, for example. Mm. Kindness and and curiosity definitely there. But freedom, I'm I'm not sure if if that would be in the top three. Uh, maybe in the top three. Um, what about like um, value, like agency, like the ability to act on, to, the ability to to realize something that you want to do. So if you you have the capacity to go there, you have the capacity to, to live there. Do you value this power in, in agency? Mm. You know, the, the ability to act in the world instead of having the world only act upon you oh, in order it. to yeah. take action. Leadership, yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah, like yeah. agency, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a new word for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think agency, I think maybe agency is a better word to describe why people get into the lifestyle. So for example, um, we have, more we have more agency in terms of okay where do we where do we want to live we have the power we have the ability to say okay i want to live in mauritius i can go live in mauritius we have that power a lot of people around the the world don't have this power there's one more thing that that i think could be a good closure for Mm. for this and then just like elaborating on that a little bit yeah uh and then that that we think so I, we are the first generation of digital nomads, I would say. Mm. Uh, and 
Yeah. Or maybe the second, like, so we, and then there's the, now the second generation, yeah. like the post-COVID. We're uh, the OGs. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> original gangsters. <laughs> yeah. But it's a little bit, there is this bumper sticker saying, don't follow me, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going. And I, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking about the same, like, sometimes I'm like, yeah, we are actually so far so good, but, you know, what's going to happen if you're... I just saw a TikTok about this old grandma, 95-year-old, opening Christmas presents. It's a six-minute video, and I watched it, and I loved it. Uh, she has dementia, and, mm. and but she's just super happy about mm. all, all the presents, and there's a family there. And, you know, um, <laughs> I'm, sometimes I'm like, are we thinking about this enough? Like, what's going to happen to us when we don't have the health? And we don't have the the youth that we have now. Is it? Do we have a plan? Do you have a plan? I don't. No, no, I don't have a plan. <laughs> this is gonna be an awesome ending for this yeah, one hour. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, um, there's that familiar kind of story where someone is lying, some old person that you know is lying on their deathbed, and they ask him, you know. Do you regret anything? Mm. You know, what, what do you wish you did differently? And, you know, usually the answer is, yeah, I wish I'd traveled more, I experienced more, I saw the world, you know, or I loved more, I read more, mm. I thought more. Um, I, so I think, you know, we're kind of able to do that. Yeah. We're, we're, we're doing this stuff. Yeah. We're, we're living, we're traveling, we're learning. And so I think, personally, I think, this is the best use of my time. You know, I'd rather be, you know, we talked a little bit before about the different ages. You know, the first age is where you grow up and you reach maturity. The second age of the life course, you know, this is what some sociologists kind of, they have this life course paradigm of, of life. First age, you grow up, that's your adolescent years, maybe up until you're 18. Then, then begins your productive age where you work, you build, a, you build your finances, you build a home, you build a family, and then you get to like 68 and you retire and then you live. That's when you travel, you kind of buy the sports car, you do all the things that you wanted to do. And I, I always thought, and you know, many, many people think the same way, why wait? Like why, you know, you don't have your health when you're old. You don't have, you know, and, and if, you, if you buy a sports car, you're driving at like 20 kilometers an hour because you're old. Um, I think it's, for me, it's, it's, I would rather live that third age now mm. because I don't know what's going to happen in 20 years. Mm. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, at, people also say, you know, you know, you should be, you know, for, for nomads that maybe that are living paycheck to paycheck, you know, maybe earning a thousand bucks a month, which is enough to survive in Thailand, but maybe they're not saving anything. The question is, yeah, you should really be saving money because how are you going to retire? The thing is, if you choose to retire in a country like Thailand, you don't need to be saving a lot of money. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, 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 but that's, that's sad in a way because to go back to agency, it would be cool to be able to choose where you want to retire. Mm. If I want to retire in Australia or Hungary or America, the fact may be when we're older that we don't have any choice in where we can retire. We can only retire in, quote unquote, the global south because of the mm. lifestyle that we've lived. And that may be, um, that may be a sad end to the story, 
because you're kind of exiled in a way from your own country because you can't afford to retire there. And that happens to a lot of uh, a lot of people now, like a lot of uh, a lot of people in Chiang Mai, for example. I met an Australian guy that's retired. He can't afford to live in Australia, so that's why he lives in Thailand. Mm. Um, but you know what? Thailand's not a, ba a bad place to be. <laughs> no, it's pretty much amazing. Yeah. So if we think about you know what the future is going to be like for people that can work remotely and that are, then are willing and able to move around, maybe we can still kind of live a nice you know retiring kind of end to our lives. Yeah. Um, I have a few, maybe I have a few ideas just now mm. that we are talking. Mm. I think one of the things that you do, you said it's amazing what you say, like you're living the, the retired life right now. Plus, I think we both love our jobs. I think so we work and we love our yeah. jobs. Yeah. And uh, so we actually having, <laughs> having time of our lives, literally. Mm. And I don't know where it's going to go when we are going to be older, but we learn leadership now and and we we learn how we can make choices mm. and our health related to our health as well and related to to many other things and i think by the time we're going to we're going to be older i think we're going to as well slow down i can see it on myself i don't know how you feel yeah, about it but then same. i started traveling it was like three days every three days i was just like running what else is there um, like that curiosity was way too much for me, and then mm. and then now um, I I barely can leave this place, and I think maybe yeah we are the first generation, and we don't know we don't know what's gonna happen, but we learned so much skills that I think towards the end when we are going to have our last few decades, hopefully, maybe we're gonna be more slow, and we will be able to make new decisions and maybe you know saying like i kind of don't want to don't put freedom as my priority yeah anymore yeah, for sure for sure and i think you know um i think yeah like we we go through periods of time where maybe freedom is at, is at the top of our value hierarchy mm. and we do anything to satisfy that and then we go through periods where let's say yeah social connection is at the top of our priority yeah. uh, of our priority list and we we flip in between the two, and yeah, maybe as you get older, maybe there's more of a uh, more of a tendency to go towards the security and the stability, um, for sure, definitely, yeah. yeah. And then there was another time, and that's another another idea that right now we have three generations, for example, and at a Christmas, right? So we would have like grandparents and then parents yeah. and kids, and yeah, and. I would feel that all the three generations are in their own bubbles. Mm. So if you would use curiosity mm. to be curious what the next generations who just been born now, like yeah. my niece or my, my goddaughters, yeah. Yeah. or even like the again the next generation, the people who are 20, 30 years, because mm. we're gonna have these amazing experiences of life. And mm. then we saw technology being born and then flourishing. And and if we manage to stay open to 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 the new generations and connect to the new generation even if we are not related and they choose to be our friends mm. and we choose to be their friends mm. then we are not bounding people to visit us at christmas and bring us pre presents but people want to come and yeah you know not because yeah. we are blood related but just because Generations are not going to be so self-centered. Yeah, hopefully. yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I think um, 
you know, society is quite segmented, you know, yeah, we have these people, those people. What I really like about digital nomadism is it's blurring a lot of these kind of, these once kind of clear boundaries, you know, between, you know, for example, uh, boundaries between home and away, like what mm. is home and away when you always live on the move? Um, and and I, you were talking before as well, like a lot of these kind of concepts that we use, yeah, these binaries that we have, yeah, they're, they're analytically useful, they help us make sense of the world, but they don't actually reflect reality. Reality is mm. a lot messier and fluid. Yeah, and maybe remote work and, you know, um, even, you know, the, even the, the institution of co-living spaces, mm. the, the idea that grown adults are voluntarily going to live with each okay. other instead of having their own home. Yeah. That's a radical move. Yeah. Adults are not meant to live with other adults. They're meant to live with their family mm. and build a family. So, yeah, maybe in the future we're going to have this situation where, yeah, there's, there's less of a kind of um, a generational split we all kind of inhabit the same space. Imagine like a co-living place where there's, you know, like a 20-year-old, a 50-year-old, and 40-year-old, 30-year-old, all going out for dinner, all kind of becoming a social group. Mm. That is really going to change it. It's going to change things up when you get older. Yeah, they're not going to be kind of obligated to see you, but they're going to want to see you yeah. through the generations. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think this is the end of it. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for, for talking to me again. <laughs> Anytime. Really perfect. Thank yeah, you so much. No worries. Anything else you want to maybe add uh, where they can, where people can reach you? Um, um, if people want to keep up to date with my stuff, uh, my website, which is my name, www.shaunbusuttil.com. And Thank yeah, you. they can just kind of, you know, See what I'm up to. All right. We're going to put this in show notes. Yeah. And thank you one more time. Thank you. You are listening to the In Search of Something Different podcast, where we talk about new ways and ideas on how we live, work, and connect. If you like this episode, don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it helps in this world. And also, you can say hi on Instagram. You can find the show under In Search of Something Dash Different. I'll come back to you soon with the next episode. But until then, don't forget to stay curious. <laughs>